Uh, it's lovely to be back with you, and I want to thank Jonathan for his warm words of welcome and others also. It's good to be back with you. As he has mentioned, this morning is going to be uh, a little bit different to the normal. I would imagine that most Sunday mornings, uh, most of what Jonathan would be saying would be with the purpose of feeding the flock and maybe a little bit of fencing the flock. Uh, but this morning, predominantly what I'm going to be talking about will be with the aim of fencing the flock and hopefully also a little bit of feeding the flock, because we're going to look at the subject of progressive Christianity. And I want to read two short portions of Scripture uh, from the New Testament. Uh, We will be reading from 2 Timothy. We're going, first of all, to chapter 3. We'll read the first five verses, and then we're going to chapter 4, and we'll read the first four verses. So 2 Timothy 3, beginning at verse 1. This is God's word. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. And then 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned onto fables. Amen. Uh, in these portions of Scripture, Paul predicts uh, what the future of mankind in many ways is going to be. And he gives uh, traits, character traits that are going to manifest themselves, not just in the secular world, but even in the professing religious world. And it's pretty devastating to look at what he describes. People will be lovers of their own selves, proud, unholy, without natural affection, despisers of those that are good, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power, And the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, basically teachers who will tickle their ears. They will totally despise sound doctrine. And those traits and characteristics are very much to the fore when we come to examine the subject of so-called progressive Christianity. So what exactly is progressive Christianity, you may be asking yourself. Well, back in 2008, I spoke in the Iron Hall in Belfast on a subject called the Emerging Church. It was on the go at that time. And prefacing that talk, I read from Luke chapter 18, the first eight verses, which is the parable of the persistent widow who keeps petitioning a judge. And in verse 8, we read this. This is what the the parable ends up with. When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? 
Charles Rary, in his study Bible, commenting on that verse, he said, This does not augur for improved spiritual conditions in the world before Christ's return. And then John MacArthur, commenting on the same verse, he said this, When he returns, the true faith will be comparatively rare. The period before his return will be marked by persecution, apostasy, and unbelief. Uh, John MacArthur also, the year before I gave my talk, he wrote a book called The Truth War. And this book was basically designed to counter this so-called emerging church. And it says in the introduction... A recent issue of Christianity Today featured a cover article about the emerging church. That is the popular name for an informal affiliation of Christian communities worldwide who want to revamp the church, change the way Christians interact with their culture, and remodel the way we think about truth itself. So those people, it was an informal uh, affiliation, if I could put it that way, uh, they wanted to redo the way we do church. Uh, they wanted to, for Christians to think how they could interact with the culture that was round about them and to take a fresh look at what we consider truth to be. Well, if the emerging church was what I would call the bud, it was informal, it was unstructured, and it wasn't creedal, Progressive Christianity is the flower that has emerged from that bud because it is formal, it is structured, and it is creedal. You may be wondering how I became aware of progressive Christianity. Well, back in September 2020, I received a a message via Facebook uh, from a friend in Canada. Uh, He would be an Orthodox Biblical Christianity and he was telling me he'd been engaged in a few exchanges with a niece of his on matters LGBT, that's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. And uh, he was expressing the orthodox biblical view. And his niece was not well pleased. In fact, she became pretty angry about it all. And she accused him of being so intolerant and so unloving, whereas she, as a progressive Christian, was tolerant and loving. My friend's sister, the aunt of this niece, also engaged with her and took the biblical line. And this tolerant and loving progressive Christian girl referred to the aunt as a pharisaical witch. Well, it seemed a bit like a contradiction in terms to me. But that was my uh, first introduction to progressive Christianity. So what exactly is it? Well, I I did purchase a few books on the subject. This was called A Grand Illusion, uh, and this is just a few portions from what it says. In recent years, many evangelicals have begun to shift from their once strongly held position on the final authority of Scripture toward a more progressive vision of the faith, one that is often built on sentiment and in general step with secular values. Progressivism is simply a rehashing of old established themes that have marked theological liberalism for nearly two centuries. Universalism is a hallmark of old school theological liberalism. Escaping the plain teachings of scripture is necessary for progressivism, which requires that contemporary feelings define faith rather than biblical and historic Christianity. That was one book. 
And then there was another book I bought called Another Gospel. It's by a lady called Alyssa Childers. Uh, basically, what happened was she and her husband, they live in America, they'd moved from one place to another. And so they started uh, attending a church in the locality, and they were going to the midweek meetings. Uh, and after a period of time, they began to look at each other and say, what is this pastor going on about? Because he was certainly uh, using, if you like, biblical terminology, but he seemed to be applying totally different meanings to what they were used to. And so uh, this is part of what she read, uh, wrote in her book. Meeting after meeting, every precious belief I held about God, Jesus, and the Bible was placed on an intellectual chopping block and hacked to pieces. The virgin birth doesn't matter. The resurrection probably happened, but you don't have to believe in it. The atonement, that would be a nope. Now, when it says the atonement, that would be a nope. What that means is that for most progressive Christians, they don't believe the very core of the atonement, which is known as penal substitution. The biblical truth that Christ, as the substitute, suffered the penalty for sinners. Uh, one of the people that the uh, progressive Christians uh, like very much is Steve Chalk. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He used to be on TV many years ago presenting songs of praise, and he sadly surfaces from time to time on various issues. But he wrote a book a few years ago called The Lost Message of Jesus. It's amazing we had to wait 2,000 years for Steve Chalk to discover the lost message of Jesus. But this is what he wrote. John's gospel famously declares God loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only son. How then have we come to believe that at the cross, this God of love suddenly decides to vent his anger and wrath on his own son? The fact is that the cross isn't a form of cosmic child abuse, a vengeful father punishing his son for an offense he has not even committed. So Steve Chalk views penal substitution as cosmic child abuse. He thinks it's a vengeful father. He just doesn't understand the eternal counsels of God where the Father and the Son and the Spirit in unison agreed that the plan of redemption for sinners would be that the Son would come in human flesh and suffer willingly as a substitute for sinners. And it wasn't vengeance the Father was heaping upon Christ on the cross. It was justice, the just penalty for the law that you and I had broken. But Christ was willingly absorbing that punishment in his own body on the tree. So as I say, Steve Chalk is much liked by progressive Christians. Alyssa Childers goes on to say, the dismantling of doctrinal tenets where all the beliefs someone was raised with and had never questioned are systematically pulled apart is something progressive Christians call deconstruction. Uh, I had an experience of that actually uh, back in 1998, way before the emerging church and uh, so-called progressive Christianity. Uh, I was invited by a group of what I thought were Christians, uh, young people, to the Last Supper. This was the name they had for a Saturday night gathering once a month uh, near, it was up near Methody. 
And uh, I went along and uh, they gave me an opportunity to share my testimony and speak a bit about what I believe. And then they began to ask questions. And as they began to ask questions, it suddenly dawned on me, these people are not on the same page as myself. They are using biblical terminology, but they are applying very different meanings to it. The leader of that group was a guy called Pete Rollins. Uh, he eventually formed uh, an emerging group in Belfast called ICOM. Uh, he then went off to America and he became pally with a chap called Rob Bell, who was one of the emerging church gurus. Uh, Rob Bell eventually got removed from his church because of the views that he held. And the last I knew was that he was a, a spiritual spokesman on the Opera Winfrey show in America, uh, if you know anything about her. But this was my introduction, if you like, to deconstruction, taking biblical terminology and applying different things to it. Uh, Alyssa Childers uh, then says, in the context of faith, deconstruction is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. Traditional understandings of the cross, the Bible, and the gospel get taken out with the trash. And that's really what is happening in this uh, movement of progressive Christianity. It's formal, it's structured. Uh, unlike the emerging church, Progressive Christianity has a website, Progressive Christianity Network Britain. And when you go to it, uh, it'll, you can click on churches, and it'll give you loads of churches in different parts of Great Britain. And you will find a varied list of denominations. There would be Quakers, United Reform, Anglican, Baptist, Unitarian, Church of Scotland, Methodist, and the Metropolitan Community Church. Nothing to do with the church in Belfast. Uh, it's a denomination exclusively for LGBT people. And it is basically creedal. Uh, on their website, they say this. We value the eight points formulated by the Centre for Progressive Christianity in America and adapted for the UK by Progressive Christianity Network Britain. So they differ from the emerging church in that they're formal, they're structured, and they have a statement of faith. Another strong contributor to the Progressive Christianity movement is the Episcopal Church. Uh, I'll just briefly mention some names. They'll probably not mean a lot to you, but they were influential over many years. There was a late bishop called John Shelby Spong, who for decades wrote things totally contradicting the basic truths of the scripture. Then there was a former bishop of Edinburgh, Richard Holloway. And then, do you remember Harry and Meghan's wedding? Um, bishop Michael Curry, very charismatic uh, preacher who spoke for 14 minutes instead of 7 minutes. And I read afterwards that people were so taken by his wonderful presentation of the gospel. I must have missed it. Uh, because it seemed to me that his talk was an exposition of the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. Uh, and he was careful when he, he talked about two young people meeting and falling in love. He didn't say a young man and a young woman meeting and falling in love because the Episcopal Church has been in the vanguard of Christian denominations pushing for same-sex marriage to be legalized and blessed in their churches. 
In fact, in 2017, the Scottish Episcopal Church was the first major Christian church to sanction same-sex marriage. Uh, the head was then Dr. John Armes. He says, I am very pleased for the couples who can now have their relationships recognized by the church and blessed by God. Well, if I met that man, I would tell him, God does not bless what he abominates. That's the reality. Uh, Bishop Curry from Harry and Nagel's wedding, he now heads up the American Episcopal Church and he has been in the vanguard of pushing for the recognition of same-sex marriage. In October 2020, one of their bishops in America, a man called William Love, interesting surname in the light of the, what we're considering, uh, but he was actually taken before a panel of the Episcopal Church in America because he refused to sanction same-sex marriages in his diocese. Uh, and he said he was disappointed and disagreed strongly with the ruling against him by the hearing panel. That panel concluded that by banning same-sex marriages, uh, he had violated his ordination vows to conform to the worship and discipline of the church. So by going with what the Bible says, he was at loggerheads with what his church was teaching. I mentioned the eight points of faith that these people subscribe to. And uh, I want just briefly to go through some of them and give you an indication of what these people say. Point one, we believe that following the path of the teacher, Jesus, can lead to healing and wholeness, a mystical connection to God, as well as an awareness and experience of not only the sacred, but the oneness and unity of all life. Well, first of all, Jesus is only referred to as the teacher, Jesus. Nowhere in the eight points is he referred to as the Lord, Jesus Christ. Nowhere in the eight points is sin, Calvary, or the cross mentioned. Could you imagine a faithful biblical church having a statement of faith without mentioning all of those things? But they refer to him as the teacher, and they want us to experience the sacred and the oneness and unity of all life. Well, that's more akin to Hinduism stroke Eastern mysticism than to biblical Christianity. So that's point one. Then point two says, we affirm that the teachings of Jesus provide but one of many ways to experience God, the sacredness, oneness, and unity of life, and that we can draw from diverse sources of wisdom, including earth, with a capital E, in our spiritual journey. So again, capitalizing Earth, they've basically ascribed divinity to planet Earth, and again, they're getting into the realms of Hinduism, which believes in pantheism, which believes that all is God and God is all. Uh, and they believe that Jesus is just one way, but we can uh, extract truth from other religious uh, uh, views and blend them all together into a stew, a hot pot, that's going to get us to wherever the paradise is that they have in mind. Really what they're advocating is what we know as syncretism, the blending together of different religious views. Point three, <clears throat> we seek and create community that is inclusive of all people, including but not limited to conventional Christians and questioning skeptics, believers and agnostics, 
those of all sexual orientations and all gender identities, all creatures and plant life. Well, again, they're, they're bringing, you know, the uh, plant life and the, the world in, again, shades of Hinduism. But they want a community where really anything goes. You can be anything that you want. And according to them, God is going to accept you. This is really, I believe, a sign that the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. In Romans chapter 1, it's interesting to note the progression downwards, if you like, of society at that particular time. Uh, First of all, in verse 24, uh, Paul talks, if you like, about a sexual revolution. Well, in the 1960s, when I was growing up, this present world had its sexual revolution. Then in verse 26 of Romans 1, it speaks of a homosexual revolution. And in recent decades, we have certainly had a homosexual revelation. These people are no longer closeted away. <coughs> They're up there, out there, up front. So pride. You have your pride parade here. We have it in Belfast and so on. So God gives people up to a sexual revolution. He gives them up to a homosexual revolution. And then finally in verse 28, he gives them over to reprobate minds. Well, what is a reprobate mind? Well, it's basically a useless mind. It really means that he gives them over to insanity. And I don't know about you, but in the last year or so, the things that have been appearing on TV about gender confusion and transgender mutilation, if you like, this is insane. I mean, there are political parties in Westminster who can't define what a woman is. That's utter insanity. And yet I believe God is giving the Western world over to their own devices. He gave them up to a sexual revolution. He gave them up to a homosexual revolution. And he's given them over to reprobate minds. And this is reflected in these sorts of communities that these progressive Christians are seeking to build in contrast to the church that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is actually building. They they then say, we find grace in the search for understanding and believe there is more value in questioning with an open mind and open heart than in absolutes or dogma. In other words, the one thing these people hate is when somebody gives up and says, thus saith the Lord. That to them is a no-no. They think it's much better to be open to questioning and dissecting everything and so on. My friends, the truth sets you free. But these people do not like the truth. They want to work towards peace and justice among all people and all life on earth. That is not the calling of the church. The calling of the church is to preach the gospel. We are not to try and change the culture directly. We are to preach the gospel and pray that individual souls will be changed and converted. And that will filter through them and how the culture reacts and so on. So friends, those are just some of the points of faith. Uh, There are others, but uh, for the sake of time, I'll not go into them. But you get a flavour of what they're doing. They're deconstructing 
the solid biblical truths that you and I and our forefathers held to, and they're giving totally perverse meanings. Uh, the book says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this world, word, it is because there is no light in them. That's the reality. There is no light in these particular people. So what about, uh, what are things like on the local scene? Uh, it's alright to talk about things in general, but how is it affecting us here in Northern Ireland? Well, probably one of the leading proponents uh, of this movement is based in Carrickfergus. Uh, it's called the Harbour Faith Community. Uh, its leader is a man called Steve Ames. He's the, the pastor. And he has been really a strong advocate for so-called same-sex marriage. Uh, back in January of 2020, uh, he was quoted by the Belfast Telegraph of saying that he hoped that the consultation that was going on at that time would lead to the legalization of so-called same-sex marriage. So that was January 2020. And then in December 2020, which was in the wake of it having been legalized, he was able to announce that he was going to get his wish to conduct the first same-sex marriage, uh, and that he duly did. Let me quote you from uh, the website of Harbour Faith Community. This is what they say. We declare ourselves to be an open and affirming congregation, welcoming into the full life and ministry of the church persons of every race, culture, age, gender, sexual orientation, ability, and economic status. So that's their statement of their inclusiveness. And of course, it flies totally in the face of 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through to 10, where Paul lists a whole list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Yet these people are welcoming these such people into full membership of their community and allowing them to have a role to play in the day-to-day -day running of their community. So that's Harbour Faith Community, Steve Hames. And then in Downpatrick, there is a Down Community Church, which is pastored by a man called Gordon McDade. Uh, I first came across Gordon McDade probably back in the 1990s, he was then minister of John White Congregational Church in Belfast, and I spoke for him. Uh, later, he applied to be the assistant pastor in Strandtown Baptist Church, uh, which he got, uh, although he had to go through believers' baptism uh, to be able to take up the role, uh, even though he'd previously been a pastor in John White. He then eventually came to Balnhinch Baptist Church, and I remember seeing a TV program where they were featuring a couple of uh, churches. One was uh, Balnehinch Baptist, and they were going to have a baptismal service. And Gordon McDade was speaking to members of the congregation, and he said words to the effect of, you know, when the candidate comes up out of the water, I want you to clap and to cheer. I want you to basically go nuts. On a solemn occasion, when someone is publicly testifying to their conversion by going through the waters of baptism, his encouragement was, go nuts. He eventually left Balhinch Baptist under something of a bit of a cloud. He was then for a period of time on the north coast with the Causeway Vineyard Church. But then he eventually found his way to Down Community Church, and that is where he is now based 
There he would be uh, working a lot with a lady called Karen Sathuraman. She describes herself as the only female Baptist pastor in Ireland. And I assure people she didn't get her credentials from the Irish Baptist College in Moira. Uh, I don't know where she got them from. But she cooperates a lot with Gordon McDade. She also looks after two groups. One is called Soul Space, which is a peace and reconciliation hub based in Belfast. And she was also the founder of a group called Spectrum, a space set up in Belfast for LGBT people of faith. So you know where her sympathies lie on this issue. And uh, just recently, uh, she and Gordon McDade were involved in the commissioning service in All Souls Church in Elmwood Avenue, whose minister is called Chris Hudson. And they commissioned a lady called Patricia Whiteside. Um, Questionable if she's always been a lady, maybe I'm doing her a disservice, but when you look at the photographs, uh, let's say it does raise some doubts. But anyhow, there she was with uh, Karen Sathuraman, Gordon McDade and Chris Hudson all laying hands upon her, commissioning her to be a chaplain and a pastor for the Soul Space group uh, that uh, looks after people uh, of that persuasion. So there's a whole substrata of so-called progressive Christianity going on in and around Northern Ireland. There was also a group called Left Side Up. Uh, For a number of years, they had an office up the Donegal Road. Two of the leading figures were a couple called Ian and June Carton. Last year, Ian Carton resigned as the minister of Whitehead Presbyterian Church in Northern Ireland. His wife, June, hadn't been attending the church for about a year prior to that. The reason she didn't attend and he eventually left was because the Presbyterian Church had held the biblical line on same-sex relations. They said people of that uh, ilk involved in such relationships cannot become members of the church and certainly can't have any babies baptised. It just baffles me. How can a same-sex couple bring a baby for baptism? Surely there should be another party present if that was going to be the case, if you think about it. But anyhow, they left. Uh, So they were involved with Left Side Up, as was a lady called Lindsay Robinson. And who is she? Well, she is the wife of Gavin Robinson, the MP for East Belfast. And when I read that, I said, that explains to me, during the last election campaign, Gavin Robinson was pictured with a man on each side of him. They were all wearing the same T-shirts, promoting a gay message, holding leaflets, promoting a gay agenda. So clearly he was courting, if you like, the pink vote. That office, thankfully, has closed on the Donegal Road. I don't know whether it was through for economic reasons or whatever, but at least it was there for a period of time. And then in Belfast, there is a church called Redeemer Central Church. It's in Donegal Street. They occupy the building that used to be Donegal Street Congregational Church. And I was sent a screenshot of an announcement that was made in their church Uh, on the 20th of March. 
And this is what it says. Our collective position and posture as a church. Among the members of our leadership, staff and community, you'll find a wide spectrum of beliefs about questions related to human sexuality and gender identity. And we believe that agreement on these questions should not be the basis of our unity, but the confession of Jesus as Lord by the Spirit is where we centre our unity. We also believe that LGBT people have a right to know what they can expect from us in terms of belonging, involvement, leadership and marriage. And the bottom line is that no one at Redeemer Central will be excluded from belonging, involvement and leadership on the basis of their sexuality or gender identity. And we hope in time that we will have pastors or leaders available to perform weddings for same-sex couples. So that tells you where they are going. They don't want agreement on various issues to be their point of unity. They want it to be their confession of Jesus as Lord by the Spirit. Well, I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where the Lord says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And the will of the Father is certainly not to sanction immoral, abominable relationships that he has stated in his word are an abomination to him. Uh, These people... uh, are going down the lines of a progressive church in America. It's called Grace Point in Tennessee. And on their website, uh, they have details of the team. And one of the team is a chap called Nathaniel Green. And this is what they say. Nathaniel joined the team as a communications and operations specialist. The following year, he joined the staff of Q Christian Fellowship full-time as their communications manager. Nathaniel lives in Nashville with his husband, Elliot, and dogs, Oliver and Winston. The Q Christian Fellowship is an ecumenical Christian ministry focused on serving lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender, queer and straight ally Christians. So that's the line that Redeemer Central in Belfast are going down. Also, you... I mentioned Steve Chalk, and you may remember Rowan Williams, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury some years ago. Uh, They uh, issued a joint letter and sent it to the Prime Minister uh, on the 7th of April. And this is part of what it says. It's to do with transgender uh, issues. To be trans is to enter a sacred journey of becoming whole, precious, honoured and loved by yourself by others and by God. And the writer of this article uh, on this letter, he says, the Chalk Williams letter has exposed an uncomfortable but now unavoidable truth about some at least of the LGBT plus movement. It is a religion which teaches that spiritual enlightenment, sacred becoming whole, comes through bodily harm. In this, it most closely resembles forms of paganism, seeking transcendental satisfaction via the drastic mutilation of the flesh. When chemical sterilization and physical mutilation are promoted as a sacred journey to wholeness, it is time to realize that those who say such things are not offering the rest of us solutions. 
it's time to begin to see them as just perhaps part of the problem. So there you have Steve Chalk and Rowan Williams describing this trans movement where you mutilate your body to try and become something that you're not as a sacred journey blessed by God. So those are some of the things on the local scene and nationally. And now I want to come now to uh, another local uh, influence. Uh, some months ago, 12th of February, uh, actually for a number of years, Alf McCreary, the Belfast Telegraph Religious Affairs correspondent, for his Saturday night page, what he's been doing is he has been sending out questionnaires to people of faith and they reply and then he publishes their responses to his questions. And so on the 12th of February, it was a young man called Andrew Cunning. And uh, he is a leading figure locally in this progressive Christian movement. Uh, here's some of the questions and answers. Tell me about your background. I am a 29-year-old theologian. I studied theology and English at Queen's University and went on to become a teacher. I recently lectured in theology at Trinity College Dublin and I am teaching public theology courses across Northern Ireland to make theology more accessible and conversational. So you can see there that there is great emphasis from his point of view on theology. I'll say more about that shortly. He says, how and when did you come to faith? I became a Christian through my local youth fellowship at First Coleraine Presbyterian Church. Although I am not sure what becoming a Christian means any longer, I do remember being told to ask for the forgiveness of my sins. Well, if you describe yourself as a Christian theologian, but you're not really sure what it means to become a Christian, those two things seem to be at loggerheads with each other. And a sort of threadbare, I was told to ask for the forgiveness of my sins, there doesn't seem to be a convincing testimony there to genuine conversion to faith in Christ. Does this faith play a real part in your life, or is it only for Sundays? I find faith fascinating. As a Christian theologian, I find it impossible to separate the academic study of Jesus from how I see the contemporary world. For me, being a Christian is heavily political. I cannot live comfortably in a world so far removed from the ideals of the Beatitudes. So for him, his Christianity has to be politically charged. What he doesn't realize is that the Beatitudes have nothing to do with politics. They are basically a template for how Christians are to live their life in this world. But he feels that we should be much more involved directly in politics. He thinks somehow that is linked to the Beatitudes. Have you ever had a crisis of faith or a gnawing doubt about your faith? In my early 20s, I was ready to pack in Christianity the faith I was handed in youth fellowship didn't stand up to scrutiny. The Bible wasn't written by God. It wasn't error-free, and it really did contain some horrible passages. Well, all I can tell you is that if someone has truly been converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no way that they would think of packing in Christianity whatsoever. But in that statement, we come to the heart of the problem. He said the Bible wasn't written by God, it wasn't error-free, and it really did contain some horrible passages. He has an ultra-low view of the Scriptures, and he doesn't even understand that in some of what he calls the horrible passages, God is still being glorified. 
You remember when Pharaoh's army uh, tried to come through the Red Sea and they were overwhelmed and drowned and destroyed? The song of Moses said, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, amongst the gods, majestic, glorious in holiness? When God, if you like, exacts punishment against sinners, he is bringing glory to himself. And nowhere do we see the glory of God on greater display than on Calvary's cross. When God poured out his wrath against sin upon his willing son, what was the prayer of Jesus before he went to the cross? Father, glorify me now with the glory. This was going to bring glory to God. But these people who deny penal substitution, they think it's a horrible passage. It's cosmic child abuse or it's divine child abuse. He was asked then, do you ever get criticized for your faith and are you able to live with that criticism? He said, yes, for the past number of years I have been quite public in making the case for a more progressive, inclusive theological landscape. I get criticized for this and the strongest criticism comes from socially conservative Christians. So trying to articulate a progressive Christianity seems like an act of heresy to some of them. Well, first of all, he creates a straw man. He says his critics are socially conservative Christians. They're not socially conservative. They're biblically conservative Christians. And he does not like that. And he says some of them view what he believes is an act of heresy. Amen. It is utter heresy when you know exactly what he believes and what he teaches. Are you ever ashamed of your own church or denomination? Yes, the Presbyterian Church in Ireland has fallen so far short of the gospel in recent years that I wouldn't dream of attending a regular service there. What he means by that is their attitude, their biblical attitude and response to matters containing same-sex relations and so on. He was then asked, are you afraid to die or can you look beyond death? I'm not afraid to die because I seem to have an inbuilt sense that what awaits us will be so good that we will look back at this life with regret that we didn't live freely and love recklessly. So he's relying on some, some inbuilt sense. Well, I would rather look to the Word of God for clarity, not what my feelings are inside. And he says, we're going to agree that we didn't live freely and love recklessly. It sounds a bit like those in Psalm 2 who want to throw off the chains as they see them uh, of these uh, restrictive rules that the God of heaven has imposed. We want to do our own thing. And that is exactly what he is thinking about when he says that. Another question, are you afraid of hellfire? Absolutely not. One of the biggest sins of the church is the invention of the idea of hell. It has done untold mental damage to millions of people. So he thinks hell is an invention. Uh, going back to the book by Alyssa Childers, uh, one of the chapters uh, that she has in her book is called Hell on Earth? Question mark. And she gives a quote by a lady called Nadia Boltz Weber, who is an ordained Lutheran pastor. This is what Nadia wrote. One of the more interesting things folks will say to me is, I'm not religious or anything. I just hope that being a good person is enough. To which I always want to say, 
enough for what? Avoiding the punishment of burning in the eternal fires of some kind of imaginary hell. So for these people, hell is a figment of human imagination. Even though the Bible is quite clear about the second death and the lake of fire for those who die unrepentant in their sins. One more question. Do you believe in a resurrection? And if so, what will it be like? I have no idea what the Bible means when it talks about a resurrection. I am much more compelled by its vision of what the world could look like if the wealthy and powerful were brought down and swords were beaten to plowshares. I really don't think a resurrection of the body will make everything okay. The work of building a kingdom of justice and mercy is continuous and now. So this Christian theologian has no idea what a resurrection body is about or like. Maybe he doesn't have 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in his Bible, but if he goes there, he'll find a lot of help as to what the resurrection body and so on is all about. And he doesn't think that a resurrected body is going to make everything wonderful. Well, the Lord tells us he's going to make all things new, and there will be new heavens and new earth for those who will inhabit it in their resurrected body, and there will be no more tears and no more fears, and it's going to be a wonderful place. But of course, having a very low, almost non-existent view of the Scriptures, then that's the conclusion that he comes to. I mentioned that he talks about... uh, the uh, theology a lot and he ran some courses last October uh, in the uh, church in Carrick Fergus and the second session had four sessions for people the second session was on the sources of theology and this is what he says through exploring the four sources of theology and examining their relationship This session sets us up to do theology in our own way. So he has four sources of theology. So what are these four sources? Reason, experience, tradition, and scripture. So there's three human inputs and one divine, from our perspective, input, scripture. So it's no wonder that he ends up with the skewed theology that he arrives with. Uh, A book that I have is a Dictionary of Theological Terms by the late Dr. Alan Kearns. And in theology, he says this, The systematic study of the being, attributes, purposes, and works of God, and of the world, man, history, in relation to him. It is usually referred to as a science because it should be conducted by the investigation of the objective data of divine revelation, which has its full expression in the written and incarnate word. In other words, in the Bible and its Christ-centered message. This basis is an objective divine revelation is what marks the difference between theology and philosophy or metaphysical speculation. With the spread of subjectivism, much of what passes for theology grows increasingly like speculative philosophy. And that's Andrew Cunning to a T. He doesn't settle for the scriptures alone. He wants to bring in reason, tradition, etc. And once you do that, you come up with your own idea of God. You create a God of your own imagination, not the God of the scriptures. As I say, their problem is they reject the scriptures totally. A few years ago, I spoke on sola scriptura, scripture alone. 
And I had two headings from it, my talk. The first was the positive effects of accepting Sola Scriptura. And the second heading was the negative defects of abandoning Sola Scriptura. And there are loads of negative defects in the theology of Andrew Cunning because he has abandoned Sola Scriptura. Uh, going back to the book, The Truth War, uh, John MacArthur gave a little quote from C.H. Spurgeon. Spurgeon wrote, The spotless purity of truth must always be at war with the blackness of heresy and lies. And that's what's happening at the moment. God's word is at war with these black lies of progressive Christianity. There's nothing progressive about this movement. In fact, it is totally regressive. It is regressing all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And what was the question that the devil put to Eve? Yea, hath God said? And that's exactly the question that these progressives are listening to and they're saying, yeah, we can do it better. We can do it our way. But I don't want you to despair despite what I've shared with you, despite this undercurrent of progressive Christianity. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In Isaiah 46, verse 10, the Lord said this, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. The plans and schemes of this satanic movement, progressive Christianity, will founder eventually. There is no doubt about that. So, as I say, normally I tell people to take heed, but this morning I want to tell you to take heart, because three of the most favourite words of mine in the Scriptures are the first three words of Psalm 93, verse 1. The Lord reigneth. Now, when it comes to the subject of progressive Christianity, these people may think that they're in charge and ruling, but overall... The Lord reigneth, and his plans and purposes will not be thwarted by this. Thank you for listening so well, and I hope that what we've shared has given you a good insight into so-called progressive Christianity.